This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Sayulita.com. For more information, visit Sayulita.com and by listeners like you. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information on how you can continue to support our network. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 127 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast. Recorded on Thursday, May 9th, 2013, live on trekradio.net and available for download on PriorityOnePodcast.com the following Monday. I'm Elijah. And I'm Tony. All right, Tony, what do we have this week? Well, in this episode of Priority One, we follow up from one of last week's Trek It Out stories and interview Dr. Richard Weger, one of the men responsible for bringing us Vulcan Ale. As we draw closer to the release of STO's first expansion, The Legacy of Romulus, we review news, announcements, and blogs, and our astrometrics department finally reports back to duty with an interview with NASA's Dr. Robert Hurt, and as always, towards the end of the show, we'll open up hailing frequencies and review your incoming messages. And captains, we want to remind you that we are live every Thursday night on Trek Radio, and that interview with Dr. Richard Weger was broadcast live as a special sneak preview exclusive on trekradio.net. All right. Captains, the Star Trek Las Vegas convention is almost three months away, and we are already gearing up for the big event, as we've told you for the last several weeks. This year, we're teaming up with Trek Radio and Stoked Radio to bring you Las Vegas like never before, on the bridge of the Enterprise. Unfortunately, such an endeavor, as we've said before, is not cheap. Priority One needs your help to raise funds that will help cover the cost of broadcasting from the convention halls during the 2013 Star Trek Las Vegas convention. We'll have a live broadcast just as we did last year, stream videos and interviews, and bring you up to the second coverage of this year's convention. This can be done with your help. Everyone can chip in just a little bit. A dollar. A dollar fifty. A dollar fifty-seven. Whatever you have between your couch cushions. We bring you 50-plus podcasts a year, great columns from STO community members, and we need your help to do more work at the convention. Everybody, dig deep into your pockets. Sort through the lint. Take off those couch cushions. You can find a buck 57 for us. You can do this. We ask that you please visit our website and click on the big orange donate button on the left side of the page. You'll be taken to the secure and ever-popular PayPal website to submit your donation. Again, this fund is to help cover the cost of broadcasting from the convention hall. Help us bring the convention straight to your computer or smartphone by donating. We are working behind the scenes to finalize our plans for the convention, and we hope to have some exciting news in time for the next episode of Priority One, episode 128. So stay tuned to this frequency for the latest developments. That's feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And as we mentioned earlier, you can listen to us live on trekradio.net every Thursday at 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. You can chat live with us in-game or visit trekradio.net and jump on their IRC chat client. That can be found under the community link. 
Well, before we move on with the show, we want to remind you that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. We've got articles and blogs from some of the most respected members of the community, including our latest Dilithium Tracker article from Sam on Maui and Will V's Trekkinen-style Rihansu-style. Be sure to visit www.PriorityOnePodcast.com for all the great content. Oh, and um, we interviewed Denise Crosby. Excuse me, what? Hmm? What was that? What was that? What was that line? What? Denise Crosby joined us on May 6th for a very lengthy interview to talk about all things Trek, including her role in the upcoming Star Trek Online Legacy of Romulus expansion. This is an interview you do not want to miss. So what you want to do is subscribe to our feeds at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com so you do not miss a beat. We'll be publishing the interview with episode 128 on Monday, May 20th, the day before Legacy of Romulus hits servers. Well, let's get ready to trek it out. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Well, this week uh, we had a number of listener submissions. Matt Miracle twigged us to the new Star Trek email service, uh, aptly titled www.startrekemail.com. You guys can go check that out if you want to have your very own uh, handle. You might have also seen Adrienne's tweet about the 3D-printed Star Trek action figures with your miniature little head on it. That's right. You send them a mugshot and a profile, and they'll, uh, they'll put you on a red shirt and give you a phaser and shrink you down to three inches tall. Ben Weiss wrote in to tell us about this next item, and I have to take a moment and, and just say, this has to stop. This this ongoing rivalry between Shatner and Nimoy over who gets the better commercial gigs, it's getting out of hand. You might have recalled from a couple weeks ago, Shatner paired up with The Gorn to remake their classic, uh, their classic fight to plug the new Star Trek uh, first-person shooter game. Now, Nimoy has recruited Zachary Quinto, the J.J. Spock, to sell Audis. This is going to get out of hand and people are going to get hurt. This battle has to stop. But the commercial is seriously funny and we'll have a link to it in our show notes. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it out there, but it's really good. My favorite part of this whole commercial was after Leonard Nimoy starts singing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, he goes, he goes, yeah. Yo, that was so funny. That reminded me of the Peter Griffin when he's riding on Falcor. Falcor, yeah, you know, and Peter, you're too heavy. I, it was so funny for him to just see him go, yeah. <laughs> but uh, now we need to talk more about beer with an interview from one of the men behind Vulcan Ale and a follow-up to uh, Ben Weiss's tip from last week. This is Dr. Richard Wieger. And joining us for this episode of Prior to One is Dr. Richard Wieger. Dr. Wieger, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? <laughs> Who is Dr. Richard Wieger? It's a complex question. Dr. Richard Wieger wears two hats. The first hat is that he is a veterinarian. And the second hat is that he's the project manager for the Star Trek themed beers at uh, the Craft Importer Company of Delancey Direct Incorporated. Talk to us about Vulcan Ale. Okay, this has been in the news now on StarTrek.com, and it's starting to uh, to pick up on the internet. Tell us about the genesis mm-hmm. of the beer. Vulcan Ale uh, originated several, well, I guess a couple of years ago, in a, in a primitive form. There was two gentlemen. One was Paul Corot, who is a uh, military veteran, a Canadian military veteran, and uh, Vern Raincock, who is the CEO and founder of Delancey Direct Incorporated. And what had happened was is that 
in Alberta. There's a town called Vulcan, Alberta. So they they have a, a festival that occurs uh, once a year in June um, called Spock Days. The director of, of Spock Days in Vulcan, Alberta, had contacted Vern Rancock um, of the Lancer Direct because she had heard that he did uh, he was involved in the creation of, of different beers um, around the world. Asked him, you know, would they do a a, a seasonal limited edition beer um, for Spock Days? So Vern Rancock uh, went down there and, and met with them and had done a, a prequel beer, I guess if you want to put it that way, um, a Vulcan Ale, but it was named after the town and and not and not the, the Star Trek franchise. He then had contacted Paul Corot, who he had heard was a a resident Klingon, um, he, who belonged to different uh, different Klingon groups in Canada. They were volunteer groups, and had asked him, "Could you you know come down to to Vulcan during Spot Days and help promote this this limited edition beer?" It was then during that that time when the first beer had come out that myself was attending Spot Days and had come across Vern and Paul, and uh, we'd had a discussion about. Well, why don't we take this one step further? Why don't we why don't we go to CBS and 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 do an officially licensed beer? So that's that's where things started. Now, how hard was that? Because it's it's not easy to get official blessing from CBS for Star Trek related <laughs> items. Talk to us about how you got together with CBS. Talk to us about that first conversation. So Paul and Vern had and myself we had we had made a pitch and uh, and we had sent an email to to CBS just sort of telling them about about our idea and so they they then had put us in touch with the Canadian representative of CBS and then Vern and Paul um, flew down there to discuss it and basically had said well you know we you know we are a uh, we're a craft beer importer company um, we do high quality craft beers and that we would like to partner with CBS on creating a, a line of Star Trek themed beers. As it turns out, is that uh, they were very interested with that idea. You know, they had toyed with it sort of uh, over the last couple of years, but just never really had gotten the chance to, to do anything. And and so they were attracted by our uh, enthusiasm and the fact that we were fans, and that Vern Raincock had uh, a lot of experience in, in the beer industry and decided that, yeah, let's take a chance on these young lads from Alberta. Now talk to us a little bit about the beer itself. What's the recipe like for this? <laughs> uh, secret recipe. Um, Vulcan <laughs> Ale is uh, categorized as an, as an Irish red, or brewed from uh, Harvest Moon Brewing Company, which is uh, situated in Belt, Montana. So a nice smooth kind of feel to it? Very smooth, uh, not hoppy at all. Uh, I would, if I had to categorize it, I, I mean, I would. I don't. I don't want to put it in the same family as as a Rickard's Red, but um, I mean, it's it's sort of in the same category, I would say. But um, I would say tastier. All right, awesome, awesome. That's fantastic. Now, arguably, some people have said that that Vulcans don't drink. Now, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? <laughs> um, if you if you go back in, in, into the uh, into the Star Trek canon, um, they they certainly do talk about that Vulcans 
do drink alcohol during special occasions and celebrations. In fact, I think there's a number of uh, a couple of episodes of Star Trek, the original series, in which Spock does maybe not officially take a drink, but he does accept the drink. Um, I can think two of them right now. And there was the Enterprise incident where there was the, the Romulan commander and she had offered him a drink. Um, and then there's also uh, Requiem for Methuselah, which, uh, he, again, he, he does also take some drinks there, too. Well, look at you throwing, al- throwing around your Trek creds. <laughs> it actually gets worse. Um, there, there's also uh, an episode of Voyager in which the, the Vulcans do partake in a Vulcan brandy. So it's not, oh, wow. uh, it's not unheard of. All right, all right. Well, nobody's going to argue with you now, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I was going to mention that uh, as there is, there is uh, also mentioned in, in the, the Star Trek uh, universe that uh, although Vulcans can't get drunk on alcohol, they can get drunk on chocolate. So there you have it. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I salute you. I I tip my hat to you, and uh, I, you are truly you truly know your Trek lore, and uh, and no argument here. <laughs> um, the only thing I can add is is that there is going to be uh, uh, another announcement in a number of months. Uh, I think three four months. Um, we'll be bringing out our second Star Trek themed beer. And it will be based on Klingon. Oh, that is fantastic news! I thank you for sharing that with uh, with me here at Priority One Podcast. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, is it? Is, are you looking at just two, or is it a, a, a whole series of it? This um, this is the uh, the beginnings of the beer adventure. Boldly brewing where no beer has gone before. This is uh, the Vulcan Ale is our season one episode one beer. And uh, the plan is, is that uh, if things go uh, the way they should and the stars align, is that uh, each year will be considered a season, and we hope to release three to four different types of Star Trek-themed beers per year. That is fantastic. All right, so you see, I'm in the United States, so how can I get my hands on these beers? <laughs> Um, what I can tell you is that uh, we do have plans for global domination, and uh, so this this year we're starting off in in Canada, uh, nationwide, um, and see how that responds. But our plans are to to move into the states potentially next year, hopefully. At this point, how would uh, our American friends get a hold of our Canadian Vulcan Ale? Um, I guess they would have to make a trip across the border. Ah, oh, all right, all right. We might have to make that trip, in fact. <laughs> now, it, it was or is going to be a part of a festival, right? Yes, yeah, so the, the first beer, um, the Vulcan Ale, is celebrating the town of Vulcan's centennial. And so um, our beer will be featured at their, at their festival. That's fantastic. So be sure to make it over to the, uh, the Vulcan Festival there celebrating their centennial. Absolutely, they would be glad to have you. All right, well, Dr. Weger, this is the part where we open the mic to you if there's something you want us. I mean, you've already given us an, an awesome little tidbit into the future with uh, a Klingon-inspired beer. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I can say is, uh, you know, keep watching the skies. We do have a Vulcan Ale Facebook page. We'll be posting various announcements as, as they sort of um, come online, and uh, we'll keep everybody abreast of how things are going. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so very much for joining me this evening, and uh, be sure to stay tuned to PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, we'll talk again. Live long and prosper. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. In Legacy of Romulus, Dev Blog number 14, senior producer Steve Salami Inferno Ricosa Jr., gives details on the new premium Riemann playable species coming to Star Trek Online in the expansion. Now, there are two ways that you can play as a Riemann. To earn the Riemann and not pay a single dime, you will need to achieve Tier 5 in the new Romulus reputation system on any character on the account. If you're not in the mood to wait and have some dough to spend, then you can purchase the Riemann through the C-Store, or it will be included in the Legacy Pack. The standard Riemann traits are pretty sweet and include plus 20 perception and plus 25 resistance to flanking damage. Optional for Riemanns is the Mind Drain, a powerful single-target psychic attack which drains vital essence from the victim to the caster. The attack ignores all shields and provides the user with a substantial self-heal but only works against living, non-mechanical targets. You also get two ship materials and Riemann uniform variants. Tony, will you be playing as a Riemann or Romulan? Well, I'm tempted. I've got the tier 5 unlock on uh, on my account already, so I might just have to roll a Riemann because, you know, mind lasers, come on, seriously. I, I haven't made up my mind yet. I do know that I'm carrying the, the junker from 1 to 40, though. I've publicly committed to this, and I'm going to do it. So I might not make it to rear admiral for like months, but we're gonna we're gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. I wouldn't pay for it. I would like to play as a remail only because yes, exactly for that that mind that laser beam attached to the inside of your head, uh, because there really aren't very much. There isn't very much resistance to that. You know, there's nothing you can wear right now um, unless they introduce an aluminum helmet or something. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say tinfoil helmets. Yeah, that's the next uh, coming to a sea store near you. Tinfoil helmets. All right, Captains, we want to open up the discussion to you. What are your thoughts on the standard traits offered with this new Riemann species? Be sure to tell us your thoughts on our Star Trek Online forum post under the Star Trek Online discussion boards, or leave a comment at PriorityOnePodcast.com. The Legacy of Romulus dev blog number 15 came out this week as well, and systems designer Jeremy Borticus Cryptic Randall answered some burning questions about the introduction of Romulan Republic duty and bridge officers. For instance, Romulan Republic captains are the only characters that can recruit Romulan and Riemann species duty officers. Uh, your feds and your Klingons can obtain some rare doffs or boffs, but they can't fill their ships to capacity with Romulan or Riemann characters like the captains of the Republic will be able to. Uh, like their fed and Klingon counterparts, both can be traded freely between Romulan Republic captains. I'm assuming, of course, some of them are going to be locked, uh, that, as we see on the Fed and Klingon side as well. Uh, but also, like the Feds and Klingons, you can contact your duty officer recruitment uh, station located at the new Romulus Command. However, the assignments can only be run by Romulan or Riemann captains. They will also be able to run recruitment assignments offered at the academy of their chosen ally, so you can not only crew your ship with the Romulans and the Riemanns, you can also get your allies uh, officers too. Now, unlike the playstyle you're already used to, your boffs join you as part of the storyline in uh, the Romulan faction. It's not some random token you can just discard uh, at some point. Uh, you might have heard us last week talk about uh, Tovan Kev. He, you can't get rid of him. He, he's stuck with uh, with you, and you're stuck with him. But the other early Romulan bridge officers uh, can be discarded after you acquire them. But you get them through the story, so you might feel a little attached. I think that's the idea. Uh, You actually develop a little bit of a working relationship in that recruitment episode uh, uh, of your boff. So 
I think they're going for a nice little mechanic. And I, and what do you think, Elijah? Is this is this something that we should see more of? I like it, you know, because the whole thing about Star Trek is not just about the captain, but it's about the captain and their crew. And to include the bridge officers into the story, I think is a really nice take. It makes it makes the story more immersive. It makes your attachment to your bridge officers more immersive. Uh, I I dig it. I wish they would have done this for uh, the Federation. You know. Oh yeah, and uh, I played just a little bit of the Klingon. I think they I think they kind of did it on the Klingon one too. I don't know about the specifics of your third officer guy that you get. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it too much for anybody listening to this. I think that they're going to they do the same thing with the new uh, Klingon tutorial. Well, you can read more about the new additions to the Doff and Boff systems on the STO website. The links will be in the show notes. Ships, ships, and more ships! In Legacy of Romulus, dev blog number 16, systems designer Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall introduces us to over 20 new Romulan ships. Although we are thoroughly excited about these ships, it would be impractical for us to go through each one of them, so we encourage you to hit up the Stowe site via our show notes and check out the post and the pictures. In the meantime, we've picked out our favorites. So, uh, Tony, which one's yours? Again, on record, the little Romulan junker. But that, again, as you were saying, impractical. Yeah, it's impractical to go through all 20 ships. It would be impractical for me to, to stick with that one forever. I think I'll probably go for the new, the newish Warbird. I don't even remember the name of it, but it's the one that looks more like a private jet. It's the one with the solid central hull and the wings with the pods on the end of it. I think that one will probably be my Tier 5 uh, ride once I get to that uh, level. What do you, which one's your favorite? I am a fan of the uh, Mogai Heavy Warbird. Oh, that thing looks like a that looks like a Cylon. It does. It's just because you know why it looks like a Cylon Raider to me. You know, you know what matters to us. It matters what you captains think about the ships and which one will be your favorite. So leave us your response in the Stowe Forum post for this episode or via the comments section on PriorityOnePodcast.com. You guys know that we love to hear from you, and we'd love to know your reasons for why it's your favorite ship. Well, also this week we've got STO featured in Star Trek, the magazine. It's only about a week away, and the entire Star Trek community, not just STO, is gearing up for the event. In issue number 45, STO's Legacy of Romulus is featured. Now, this is big because the issue also includes a special look at Star Trek Into Darkness, the sequel to the Abrams reboot of 2009. Uh, no matter what your opinion of that particular re- reboot is, everyone will probably pick up that magazine because it's all shiny and pretty and it's got cool stuff in it. So uh, Star Trek Online is going to get some huge exposure with this, and we can presume that this hugely popular issue that will be distributed to huge number of readers would probably generate a little bit of interest for Cryptic and their game, which we know and love. We're essentially hypothesizing that the STO servers are going to melt. I hope Cryptic's ready. I hope all these downtimes we've had this last week have paid off. I hope they've beefed up their network servers, and I hope they all bought new helmets for when it all explodes and the shrapnel flies. You know, if the attendees at the Star Trek New Jersey convention is any indication of renewed interest in Trek and generally all things geek, then we should expect a huge influx of players that will be coming down from their excitement and the high of the Star Trek prequel. When the first movie came out, I remember the commercials where this is not your father or your grandfather's Trek. But there's a whole new generation that's opening up to the whole geek culture. And although we were geeks, we were all geeks before being geek was cool. Yeah, man, we're hipster. We're, we're hipster geeks. We are totally we're hipster, hipster geeks. geeks now. Yeah. 
I think that they're going to want to continue the story in some way, shape, or form, and still will give them that opportunity. Captains, have you always been a Trekkie? Or is the franchise something you've recently discovered? Have you come to us in that infinite diversity and infinite geekiness or... I dig, as I just made up here right now. Uh, do you think shows like The Big Bang Theory, comic book movies, and you know, nerdy podcasts uh, are making geek chic? Well, tell us what you think in the comments section of this episode or share your thoughts with the rest of the Star Trek Online community in our forum thread under Star Trek Online discussion. All right, Captains. All 14 of our favorites, Starbase featured projects and seven featured embassy projects oh boy. are returning for a limited time rerun. Although there has been no end date announced, the rerun period is for a limited time. So if you've been dying to have tribbles litter throughout your starbase or discovered you have a fascination for shrubbery, well, now's your chance. And as has been the case with most major releases for Star Trek Online, Tribble will open up for a special test weekend. Now, hopefully you would have heard of this before the publication of this podcast because it happened during the weekend of May 10th. Another reason to listen to our live show, everyone. So if you played for an hour over the weekend, you will have earned a special reward that will be announced at a later date. Uh, uh, Oh, and here's the disclaimer. And a quote. As Tribble is a test environment, while we are planning on the latest update to let it go live tomorrow, it is subject to change. Please watch the Tribble announcements and release notes form here for information. If there are any changes to the Tribble test weekend plans, we will update this post in the forum links right below. All right, Captains, we want to highlight a few interviews from our community neighbors. Be sure to catch UI artist Thomas the Cryptic Cat Marone's interview on our friends over at Stoked Radio. And GNT Show, the GNT Show also interviewed Captain Gecko. So be sure to visit their websites for those interviews. We've had uh, some patch notes again, triple patch notes. Uh, Holodeck's not getting very much love as close as we are to the expansion, but uh, there's some fun things in the triple notes. For example, there are two new PVEQ events. The Defend Rihiho Station is a ground event, PVE event, and the Re-Atmosphere event is a shuttle event, another shuttle event uh, for us all in our small crafts. Now, these missions will grant you a pack that contains either Romulan marks or fleet marks. You get to choose. This is a new reward type. A reward pack that offers you a choice of marks. Sweet! Oh, no, no, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. The re-atmosphere event? Oh, my God, they did it. They did an atmosphere shuttle event. How awesome is that? Okay, so here's the thing. I um, I very seldom take credit for the things on the show, unlike my other co-hosts here. Um, I seldom, seldom, seldom take credit, unlike our segment titled... Cryptic Developer Agrees with Tony. Or James taking full credit for the Vesta. You know, all these things. I'm going to have to say... <laughs> That this was my idea, and I pushed for it really, really hard. We all get one. <laughs> well, as soon as they add functionality to the uh, Green Thumb project or to the uh, mannequins and the star bases, then that's for sure. We'll know they listen to you No, then. because when the first – I remember when we first talked about shuttle events, all I could think about was like the – the um, the atmosphere fights in, in Battlestar Galactica and how awesome that would be to do an in-atmosphere fight. I, I called it. I am kidding. I'm kidding. But I am excited about, uh, about having an in – a planetary in-atmosphere fight with shuttles. That's fantastic. I'm so glad they were able to get the mechanics right for that. So kudos to the team. That is, I'm so excited to play that. The reward packs are, I think, are, finally, this is another good mechanic that they put in here. You can choose between Romulan or Fleet Marks on this event. And Crystalline Entity, when you do this version, the new version that they've got out now, you can choose between Fleet Marks and the new Nukara Marks. And we're going to take credit for another one here in a second, Elijah, but this is a team, this is a team one. 
they're going to have an elite version and a normal version. Proof positive, guys. Cryptic listens to us. Keep coming up with your ideas. Send them into the show. We'll put them on the air, and they will listen to us. So keep uh, keep talking to us, and we'll keep doing it. Uh, also, they've uh, changed the console and device slots for the, and the BOF layouts on the Warbirds, trying to do one last uh, balance pass before the open beta hits. So everybody go check out the new stats on your new uh, Warbirds there. And something very serious is happening on those patch notes. I quote, Landscapers have visited Craterus. Bridge officers should no longer be inclined to jump around like people dancing to popular hip-hop tunes from the 1990s. KDF-allied Romulans, quote, are always scowling on the inside. And, and quote, There is only one set of power trades in space! Zero, I want you to know, we hear your cry for help. No one quotes the Muppet Show except as a last resort. We know the pressure is getting to you, but hang in there. May 21st is almost here. All right, Captains. Well, that wraps up this week in Star Trek Online News. Let's welcome back Dr. Robert Hurt of NASA's JPL and author of our Astrometrics Report. And once again, we'd like to welcome back to the show Dr. Robert Hurt, our resident astrometrics guru. How are you doing, Doc? Uh, it's great to be back, Tony. I'm glad to be on. Well, you've been on Priority One before, and you've contributed to our site, but not all of our listeners uh, might know about what you do and, and, and what you've done for uh, both uh, both the, the discipline of science and for our little podcast. So why don't you tell everybody? Certainly. Uh, as my professional life goes, I am the visualization scientist working on NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope Project. It's based here in Los Angeles on the Caltech campus. And uh, I actually have the, the glorious job of basically trying to uh, – people see the wonders of what is coming out of NASA's astrophysics program through the visual side of communication. So uh, a lot of the data images that come down from missions like Spitzer or the, the WISE All-Sky Survey or the Kepler Project or uh, the New Star X-ray mission, um, anything that has to do with sort of communicating science results uh, through images, artwork, uh, photography that comes through our office. And for the priority one side of things, I have been writing the astrometrics column, uh, such as I have had time over the previous months to <laughs> hit little topics of uh, uh, interest, uh, particular interest to me in astronomy. And uh, we're going to talk about both of those things here, but I want to hear, uh, as you may have heard if you've been listening to the show, I've been trying to fill your shoes. I've been trying to throw little bits and pieces of uh, <laughs> uh, space news out there in the, during our Trek It Out segment. You, you've actually been doing a great job of covering things. I keep going, oh, well, okay, I don't need to cover that one now in the column. <laughs> like like I said, I'm just your backup. I've just been trying to just, you know, fill time while you've been busy with other things. But why don't you keep us, uh, why don't you get us better informed? Why don't you tell us what uh, some of the fun things are going on over there? Well, sure. I guess uh, manned space flight, I guess the exciting thing in Los Angeles was when the Endeavor uh, arrived finally at the uh, California Science Center and uh, had a chance to show up there during opening week when uh, NASA was running a uh, an AstroFest activity to kind of get people excited about what was going on in astronomy and space flight as uh, the Endeavor reaches its uh, new home at the Science Center. And I have got cool. to say, if you have any access to any of the uh, shuttles on display, New York, uh, D.C., um, Florida, or Los Angeles. It is an emotional and breathtaking experience. Um, I've been there twice now, and both times I walk into that room and I see this this you know 
this spacecraft that's it's been you know, spent better part of a year in sp- in outer space. Uh, it's you know the emotions well up in very cool. is incredible. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful craft, and I'm very proud that that one of them uh, resides here in Los Angeles. Uh, little tidbits in astrophysics. I think it's been really exciting uh, following uh, the Kepler mission these days. Uh, they uh, oh, are. Con- I've been keeping good track of that. Oh yes, and uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we are on that. Uh, as, as one of my first astrophysics columns it was titled the the Road to Class M. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're pushing our ability to detect planets into the smaller and smaller regime and uh, into orbits that are further and further out from the sun, more into the habitable zones. And uh, Kepler actually just did a release recently of a few more planets uh, nudging down to about one and a half times the size of Earth that are all floating more or less within where we think the the zone would be for liquid water for an Earth-like planet. So uh, nothing that really that we could call a twin yet, but we we are pushing that envelope closer and closer. Older cousins, maybe. You Older know, cousins, bigger cousins, little overweight cousins, cousins. You know, uh, <laughs> hit the uh, hit the cafeteria line, uh, the all you can eat line, a few too many times on their uh, on their planet forming uh, uh, period. But yeah, these are uh, promising to be rocky worlds and possibly mm-hmm. water worlds with water surfaces. Uh, again, it's hard to say. We we can just sort of uh, look at the theoretical models of what might fit the bill of something that has that that size that distance. So, uh, but yeah, it's all really exciting. But I think the other really uh, astoundingly interesting result that hit astrophysics uh, last month was uh, the, the Planck mission actually announcing its uh, first full data release on observing the cosmic microwave background radiation. Uh, it yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. That's the that's the uh, that's the fuzz left over from the Big Bang, right? Exactly. This is this is the mission that is following up the uh, you know, the landmark results from the COBE mission in the 80s, and later the WMAP uh, map of the sky that uh, uh, pushed it to a higher resolution. This is looking for that last echo of the uh, of the Big Bang. Basically, seeing back past past the earliest galaxies to the moment at which the the glowing hot plasma of the early universe became transparent you know at you know the earliest moments of the universe it was sort of like being in the inside of a fluorescent tube photons of light are getting scattered around in all directions it's so hot that that even uh, hydrogen gas is in an ionized state but once you get to that magic point where the temperature and the density of the universe dropped to this critical point where the hot ionized gas cooled off to the point that it became neutral gas the electrons combined with the protons all the photons that were in the universe just suddenly kept moving off in straight lines and gave you a, a snapshot of what was going on at that last minute. What were the, the, the uh, over-densities and under-densities of the universe? Very subtle, tiny differences. But by going out and observing the sky in great detail, I mean, we can get this, this snapshot of, of the, those conditions when, when the universe cooled. And little bumps and uh, hot spots and cool spots tell us a lot about not only the density structures that gave rise to galaxy clusters and galaxies afterwards, but it tells us astoundingly uh, clear information about the conditions of the first nanoseconds, uh, picoseconds of the universe. And um, it actually gives astronomers the information they need to really look at models that they have, theoretical models that look at how the universe is made up of matter, like 
like us, things that we can see and understand. Uh, dark matter, uh, matter that is still you know, has gravitational potential, but is made of stuff that doesn't emit anything that we can detect directly. And this now uh, even more mysterious dark energy that we know is something that we, beyond any understanding of what it is, but is contributing to the universe not actually slowing down under the influence of gravity, but starting to accelerate, to expand even faster over time. So the fact that just seeing these little fluctuations in density in, in the early universe, you can actually analyze them statistically and, and actually learn how the models are on and off and, and where we're going. I, th I think it's just amazing. Well, and the, the, getting back to you know what we're going to try to learn from this, it's it, the, this snapshot that you're talking about, it is basically the point at which the photons, the very first photons in the universe, were not blocked by higher energy stuff keeping them in at that point. They just they were able to break free and get out and actually start making space. Exactly. And then then what you what you can derive from this, uh, I mean things like the uh the the senses of of what makes up the universe, right? The 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 normal matter that we know, we we actually like revised it. We thought it was 4.6% of the total energy of the universe was the normal stuff that we're familiar with. It turns out we now think it's closer to 4.9. That is a full increase of 0.3% of normal matter in the universe, which I think is I I was I was looking for that 0.3. I mean, I knew it was there somewhere. I, know, it was, I mean, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, yet it is incredibly <laughs> humbling, I think, to sit back and realize that we are actually determining what happened at the first instant of the universe with such incredible precision that we're actually to a point of refining things by 0.3% one way or another, or a percent here or there. But, yeah, just the idea that everything that we can measure, see, and detect directly constitutes just under 5% of the universe. We are a minority. <laughs> we well, are we're better we're than the we trivial were. trivial afterthought of everything that's actually out there, and most of it well, is, is a hidden mystery matter, mystery energy. Yeah, well, hey, we were, we were better off than we were, like, two weeks ago, right? I mean, yeah, we were 4.9, we were 4.6. We are we're a, getting, a, yeah. a little more important, right? <laughs> so. yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So we've got to, we've, we've gone to other worlds now. We've gone to the beginning of time. Is there any middle ground here? Uh, can we? Is there some other, other projects going on you're working on that are sort of uh, maybe not so close to home, but not so far back? Well, one thing I might mention, which potentially relates to everyone's ability to, to you know, learn more about these things, I think it's important to know um, the NASA's ability to do education outreach in the future um, may be coming to an end relatively soon. Uh, the, uh, between the, uh, the sequester and, and the pretty draconian cuts that everything, including NASA, is actually looking at completely zeroing out all education and outreach activities Give us a list of some of those things that it includes. That would include things like, um, you know, potentially the Astronomy Picture of the Day website, the uh, uh, NASA... Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to turn off my space porn? It's, well, this is the thing, right? We, if, if we are mandated to no longer do outreach, you know, there's a possibility that existing sites may continue, but uh, anything that would be you know, sharing imagery with the public or educational programs for schools that come from NASA. Uh, we actually run a project where I work called uh, the uh, NASA IPAC Teacher uh, Archive Research Program, NITARP. And uh, every year we bring in something in the order of 80 students and teachers from across the country. They have an opportunity to do uh, research on a real research project in tandem with a scientist. They actually go to the American Astronomical Society meeting at the beginning of the project, and then a year later, once they've finished and present the results, 
not in an education session, but actually in the same session that scientists present, and you know, give people a first-hand opportunity to, to really do science with scientists and understand what science is about. And then those teachers go on with that understanding of what science actually is and carry it on to their classes for years to come. Th this kind of thing would be discontinued. The, uh, any, anything that would connect the education programs directly to the scientists at the mission level would go away. So on the butcher block, my space porn space gone. Porn. And then you're going to take away all the inspirational type things that uh, school kids get to do to learn about real science from real scientists. Right. And then, uh, like even this year, uh, JPL had to cancel its uh, annual open house, which uh, gets more than 80,000 people, I think, uh, was last year's attendance. Uh, the one, because it's uh, you know, restricted access to the lab, it was the one weekend a year that they would open up to the public. But uh, I believe that was due to the sequester. That money was cut. But that again, that kind of general public outreach is the sort of thing potentially wouldn't be going. So, so, so uh, famously, we retired the shuttles as we talked about earlier, and we're having we're, you know private companies are, are are making their way to space. And so, are we just sort of given up? Is I mean, really? I mean, we're not going to train the future generations of scientists. Is that what we've decided here? We're not going to let people download the fruits of their taxpayer money. Down to they could have cool backgrounds on their desktop anymore. I mean, well, the thing that would not be discontinued is media and press activities. So anything that comes out as a press release would still go out. But oh, good. Oh, so but, so I, I can I can have press releases. Oh, and then you know the images that go with that. But but things that maybe connect that say in tandem with the museum community or the planetarium community. You know, redeveloping data sets that come from NASA missions so that they can be displayed. You know, in a full dome setting for museum scenarios, right? These are the things that would go away. And, and the idea is to consolidate education under the Department of Education, and I believe the Smithsonian, and a couple of places that have you know, K-12 through programs set up already. But they, of course, well, have no expertise in astronomy and no real yeah. interest in it. And it does take away any connection directly between the scientists and the researchers and the projects. And yeah, and see, and that's the thing. I, here, okay, I, I have to editorialize now. Okay, this this is you, you you have professional duties and responsibilities. You're an employee. Okay, my turn. Okay, this is this is bad. And you can just say no comment after I'm done, and we'll know what that means. But this this is this is bad because what you're doing is you're putting another barrier between people who are interested in science and the people who are let's just face it. Madly in love with science. Oh, sure, we can get a press release, but that's filtered through some media guy. Oh, we can go to the museum at the Smithsonian. Oh, that's nice, but they've also got dinosaurs and airplanes to deal with too. It's another barrier that's being put between people who love science and want to teach it, and people who like science and maybe think it's cool but need to know more to get that passion started. Uh, and and the fact and and removing putting more barriers between people that want to do the science and people that want to learn the science is. Bad. Well, uh, fair enough, and uh, of course, obviously, anything that I say, I should make very clear as my own opinions, not in any way representing my role at NASA. So I do invite people to go and Google this. It's, there's actually a lot of information out there about this. Uh, a lot of people don't really know. Even a lot of astronomers have, are really unaware of what's, you know, the, what's on the table for next year. So if you're curious about it, I just encourage you to go out and read. Uh, Google some articles. Um, there's a lot being written. Uh, it's obviously a very, it's an evolving 
issue going on. This is a budget proposal. There's still time. You know, things may be changed in the future. It depends on you know what pushback. But yeah, so I, it's just I think it's good people to understand what's happening and uh, give everyone a chance to go out and and you know, really follow it more closely if if it's something that, that interests you. And we're going to lend our little pulpit to this uh, this cause. I think that it's important that the actual scientists do some scientific education and that uh, and students and the general public have access to the scientists to get their questions answered, to have their curiosity satisfied, to uh, to be able to you know access this kind of information directly from the people uh, involved in getting it. I mean, I mean, another project that we do uh, at uh, Spitzer, uh, we've had a long-running uh, uh, podcast series, actually a couple of them. I, I produced one called Hidden Universe that's kind of very documentary-oriented. Uh, my uh, colleague, uh, Tim Pyle, produces the uh, irrelevant or IR-relevant astronomy series, which is more kind of whimsical uh, ah. series. And we actually, uh, we've even worked, one of the things that we have done with Irrelevant Astronomy is brought in um, Hollywood talent who love astronomy, who are excited about it, and are willing to come in for, you know, like nothing practically and, and help oh, yeah. get the message out. And, you know, as far as the Star Trek community goes, we've actually worked with Will Wheaton repeatedly. Uh, we uh, George Takei was actually our first uh, celebrity guest on Irrelevant Astronomy. And oh. was delighted. We, uh, so we definitely have a strong um, uh, Star Trek ties into what we've been doing. Uh, uh, we actually, sure. the last one we were able to release before the, um, the, the kind of the shutdown on all outreach activities hit us uh, was one where Cameron Diaz came in and did a wonderful piece on uh, how you measure the mass of asteroids. It's, it's very funny. And uh, I, mean, I mean, this is Cameron Diaz. Wait a minute. Right? Wait a minute. I'll listen, I'll listen to Cameron Diaz read the label off of a soup can. <laughs> and you're telling me she's going to me- help me how to measure an asteroid? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you have any uh, job openings for asteroid measurers? Because I think I'll probably be able to do that after I listen to Cameron Diaz <laughs> tell me how to do that. Well, far be it for me to spoil the surprise because it tells, <laughs> explains it far better than uh, than I would on this podcast. But uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's incredible. Like even Cameron, right? She, she walked in. She's wearing a T-shirt that says "I Heart NASA," and she explains like she actually had it custom made. I mean, we didn't ask her any of this. She 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 had a "I Love NASA" T-shirt made custom made, so she'd have something to wear because she loves NASA. But not only did she do that, she brought she brought two of them in case the white didn't work. She also had it done in yellow. She wasn't. <laughs> I just want to make sure if we liked it, it'd be something that that we could use for the video. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, see exactly. I mean, and that's the sort of thing. I mean, you people, you, this is this is irreplaceable stuff. I mean, yes, NASA's an arm of the government, bureaucracy, et cetera, blah blah blah. But seriously, it's the it's one of the few institutions I think that we have left that the public goes, oh, NASA did that. Oh, it must be okay then. <laughs> They probably know what they're talking about. They're only probing the fundamental mysteries of the universe and adding another 0.3% to the matter of, of the known uh, cosmos. They probably know what they're talking about. And then you're going to take away the, 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 the primary interface between them and the public. Bad idea. Bad idea. Uh, okay. I, I, but, I invite you to draw your own conclusions. I, well, thank you for your invitation. Uh, I will. I will take you up on that. So, uh, so well, we've we've covered uh, we've covered the planets. We've covered the universe. We've covered the government. And oh, but, now I want to I want to talk about Star Trek Online. Why? Are you, are you, so you want to talk about why it's been so long since I put out a uh, an astrometrics report? This isn't this isn't like a job review or anything. <laughs> I'm not asking you about your deadlines or nothing because that's Elijah's job. That's not my. I don't I don't do that. It's not my department. But but, but I have a very good excuse. Where have you been, Doc? Where have you been? <laughs> well, I have to admit, I, I kind of got eaten alive recently by the Foundry. 
Oh, it's a time sink, let me tell you. Oh, uh, uh, yes, uh, first-hand knowledge of that uh, I, coming uh, from me, yeah. Well, I, so, uh, absolutely right. But, yes, I, I got bit by the bug. I have been, uh, ever since the uh, the Vegas Trek convention, when I uh, ended up actually hanging out with Ali Mac 30 and going to the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the Great Link, of the uh, meeting a lot of the... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, founder you know, and, and the other foundry authors there, and right. all along I knew I kind of wanted to do this, and so I finally bit the bullet, and I I had my uh, my story to tell. So mm-hmm. it was my it took it's been in development pretty much since uh, uh, Vegas Trek last year, and so I finally published this past week uh, the Interorp Experiment, my first uh, stab at doing uh, uh, a kind of very episodic, uh, character-driven episode. One of the things I like, I mean, there's there's tons of good Foundry podcasts out there. Uh, you know, we, Priority One does a lot of different things. I don't want to step on the toes of other people out there. But one of the things I like about Foundry and Foundry authors is uh, the idea that the tool is limited in a lot of ways. And I like it when people sort of try to work around it. And I noticed that specifically with your mission that you you you, you try to do some things with that character development that – it doesn't really work with the way the foundry is set up, but uh, tell us about how you were you tried to get around that thing. Sure. I uh, well, let me first say that part of the reason I even wanted to go here is that I, I do have a bit of a history with Trek on this as well. I actually was on the pitch list originally for uh, Next Generation and uh, DS9. I had I have written oh. Star Trek scripts. Nothing nothing that ever got produced, but I I had a good probably half dozen pitch sessions uh, between the two shows and never quite sold an idea. I had a couple that, that got some interest, but you know, I've, I've always ha- I have had that, this long list of like my, my treatments, my uh, story ideas that a couple dozen unrequited, unrequited, unrequited passion. And you know, and oh, they just sit man. there like, like your, your, your children that never were, you know? And so, <laughs> but there is a certain amount of, you know, performance that comes in where you think, you know, well, this is a way of producing, Sure. Writing a script, telling a story, and having an audience. And but but the thing was approaching the foundry. I realized that you know the thing is I wanted to do an episode. And knowing, right. having played you know uh, you know a number of foundry missions, uh, you know some are just fun battles and little uh, humorous things. But but there are a class of missions out there that you know you go through and at the end you know it touches you. You're moved. You're you you feel like you've really gotten sucked in and you've you've made up for the fact there hasn't been any Star Trek to watch. You know, since yeah. the last Abrams movie, you know. Uh, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let's and let's, whether let's, that counts as Star Trek is thank you thank certainly you certainly up for debate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can send all the flame messages to Priority One. Uh, 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 we'll take it. We'll take. I'll bring it. Bring it. Bring. I'll have that discussion with anyone anytime. And I'll happily have that discussion with you as well. But yeah. uh, no. But so I really did come at this from the idea of. I, I wanted to build a foundry mission that, that was structured like an episode that felt it, it had drawn you through. And I've seen authors do this successfully. And it's a real challenge because, like you say, there are a lot of missions. And I, I actually had spent some time going through all my old treatments. And I, was, and I actually mm-hmm. identified a good half dozen or so that could actually adapt pretty well to the foundry. But as mm-hmm. I had been mucking around with it, I ended up coming up with a completely new story that I had sort of converged on thinking both on how do you tell a story, but how do you make the most of the media, make the most of the assets that are there, you know, playing around with the what visual effects you can throw into a scene. And so the story mm-hmm. kind of evolved organically from knowing what the limits were of it and what limits I thought I could push, and the desire after playing games like Mass Effect, where you have very personal stories that, that draw your character in, of wanting to tell a story sure. that gave you a little bit of fleshed-out history, 
but also recognizing that you know and, and really I kind of wanted to tell like uh, have a have a romance option for a character. But I also realized because you are very very limited and you you get to create one character that's you know a male character or a female character or a human mm-hmm. or or beta z, you know you can't just force someone to have had a relationship with a character they may that might not fit their play, their own character right? Uh, right. You have to worry about you know gender roles and and, and species roles and you know what chauvinism and robots are, and robots right? You know so yeah. if you're going to write a romance story. You also have to have an uh, opportunity to not write a romance story. And so I sort of <laughs> converge on this idea of, um, of giving you an opportunity to select your, uh, your relationship with the character in this game, either as a, a past romance, a toward romance you had in the Academy, or this horribly competitive rivalry that haunted you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if you to, to invoke classic Trek, it's either your Ruth or your Finnegan. <laughs> Ah, nicely done, nicely done. <laughs> All tied into shore leave right there. Exactly, uh, nicely done. And so so I realized, so I started poking in it, and I, I have to say, I am so grateful to all the talented people over at uh, uh, Starbase UGC uh, for all all yes. of the tireless work they've put out, putting all of these uh, tutorials, and Kirk Fat for all of his uh, online uh, screens. I mean, I, I've gone to sleep watching Foundry episodes, not because they <laughs> bore me, but because I would like just start running Hours. them while I'm in bed at night and like, kind yeah. of drift off and trying to learn what I could and couldn't do. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed this challenge of finding a way to try to build in branching options where characters would respond to you after you made a choice. And offer up dialogue that felt very natural once that selection was made. So for me, that was the real fun, is finding a way to uh, give you an opportunity to play through a little bit of, fill in a little bit of your character back history, but give you a choice of coloring the flavor. And and also, you know, I think the fun of that is also that now you have an episode that if people enjoy it and they chose, you know, rivalry, now they are kind of curious to go back and say, well, what would it be like if I played it as romance? And then go to an, yeah, then you go to like sure. maybe you have a different alt who might actually work better as a romance option, and so sure. you go through and play that. So it's a little bit, but I, I've got to say it's it's tough. <laughs> you start doing that, yeah. all of a sudden you find you're not writing one Foundry episode, you're writing 1.5 Foundry episodes. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. The the starship blowing up part can stay the same whether it's a romance or a rivalry, but uh, the but all, the hard part, the writing, the the, the character arcs, the the actual typing of the text into the little boxes that uh, that, oh, that yes. time adds up. How long did you how long did you spend doing this? I was actively constructing this for about 4 months. Uh, and for the last two months, I it really did bl- balloon to the point of like almost every evening I get home from work, eat dinner, watch a little TV, and then if I can possibly stay awake, it's like another two or three hours. I have I just had to, <laughs> and it was because it is a very slow iterative process, you know. Just yeah. you know, you finish dialogue just to test it out. It can take you know forty five seconds just for it to load it up. So it was a far more tedious process than I thought. And also, I had a big learning experience on you know there are. There are pop-up dialogues. There are speak-with-a-contact dialogues. There are mm-hmm. storyline dialogues. There are um, default dialogues. Four different dialogue types. And each has a slightly different set of properties on how they work and flow in the story and how they appear in the timeline and which, which triggers you can use to trigger mm-hmm. dialogue options. And I invariably chose all the wrong ones for all of my <laughs> longest dialogues the first time I went through and I had to go through this horrible thing. I was like, oh. That 
Copy really needed to be paste. a default dialogue, not yep. a story dialogue. Oh, okay, then copy paste, copy paste, copy, copy paste, paste, copy paste, copy paste. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. yeah and not, well, I've been there. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I went through. I was trying to estimate. I actually counted up last night. I have um, seventy-three dialogues in the interwarp experiment, and uh, maybe twenty percent of those are one or two uh, balloon dialogue bubbles, but mm-hmm. some of them are twenty or more. In, in well, for branching all, dialogues and things. Yeah, for all of that, it only took me about uh, you know forty five minutes or an hour to play through. Yeah. Uh, it, it, no, I, no, I played like an episode, and I think that's one of the, the one of the great things about uh, people who I don't know make a make a study make a study make a science of foundry missions is that they try to they try to fit it into the TV structure like you were saying you, you're kind of inspired or encouraged to do this by your TV treatments that you had lurking in a drawer. Uh, but, you know, your idea was, I want to make a Star Trek episode. And it was, of course, it was an all-consuming episode while I was doing it, right? It, there, I'm, I'm hearing the dialogue sure. in the shower in the morning, and people are <laughs> going. The, both storylines I grew very attached to. I was I was most attached oh, sure. to that storyline when I started, but then I grew more and more attached to the, the rivalry storyline, too, because they both kind of took on a life and two different aspects of this this one character. You know, so it made the difference between a good episode and a great episode of The Foundry. And things like... If you transition to a map, make something interesting happen on it. You know, sometimes people have maps that you spend so little time on, you spend all the time in transition. And you know, mm-hmm. if you only need two lines of dialogue, find a way to put that into something else and not just transition through a space map because you feel like you need to be there. So I, I went through and I decided if I really wanted a space map, I had to find something new that they discovered, something that was important to push the story at every stage. Like, um, like TV, if you're going to change the set, if you're going to build a set, ex- by God, you better get some screen time for it. Exactly. Your line producer is not going to let you build that that ground set unless you have dialogue on it. <laughs> they move that back to the bridge otherwise, right? Exactly. Uh, the, uh, kind of the other affectation of the story for me was um, I'm actually a big fan of when Cryptic does these really nice maps that, you know, you sort of see once and then, or, or, or never used in a mission, and you feel like, you know, I want to exploit that. So rather than go down the path of building custom maps, which some people do some just amazing, elaborate custom yeah. build, I kind of was coming at it from what uh, the Trek writers would often call a ship in a bottle story, which is mm-hmm. you let, our budget's low, we need to tell a story on the Enterprise today. You know, and so it's 90% is going to happen on our sets, and we're not going to do all this fresh stuff. I'm a big fan of the Belfast Bridge and Corridor sets. The, they, the yes. defiant bridge and corridors are the only spaceship set that they have built in-game that feels like a starship to me. Agreed. Things have logical relationships. It's open. It isn't just this long string of you just have to go running forward, forward, forward through rooms that are strung together in this... Yep. It, which what insane starship designer would ever put rooms out the way they are on, on almost every starship set or or, or yeah. base set, right? This there's yes. a little too much of a slavish devotion to linear progression through rooms that and not I design and I heard something. I heard something from uh, I think it was Al on one of our last interviews, I think it was the playthrough. The the problem is is that they have to have those weird corners and stuff because otherwise you, the in, the game engine overloads or something. It has to anything that's in the straight line of sight it has to render. So they make all these weird turns and stuff like that so that you can't the engine can't render it all at the same time. But the Defiant set you know they have a great way of doing it because it's curved. They, they worked around it. They worked yeah. around it, and you actually feel like you can wander through. You don't have to go exactly. I mean, you have a choice if you're starting on the transport and you need to get engineering. There are two different ways you can go. And I love that. Yeah. And so I actually built 
the mission so that it didn't matter which way you went. I actually set up triggers so that different things would happen depending on which way you chose to just move from one location to another. And okay. and I, I, I really love that set, so I really wanted to make it feel like you were on the Defiant. You 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 went mm-hmm. through an episode on the Defiant, and so that that was very entertaining. And it saved me the the build. Uh, uh, oh yeah, for some custom, but I didn't need a custom set to tell that story. Yeah. So. Well, you used all that time of making dialogue and coding and pasting between the different kinds of dialogue triggers. And, so. and wishing to uh, the great bird of the galaxy and, and all of his followers that Cryptic would plug in a spell check API on dialogue. <laughs> I could just get a twiddly red line under words. Yes, oh yes. My God. Uh, I've, yes, and, yes and that would be... Sadly, the other thing I found, you, there's a lot of advice you know, online that you know, write, write your story in a, a text editor for or, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, something that has spell checking and things in the copy. And I actually found it didn't work for me because my episode, I couldn't even get written until I really, it, it never really happened until I just dived into the editor. Because so much of what I was building was on branching dialogues. You know, it is really yeah. hard to write a branching dialogue in Microsoft Word. <laughs> True. It's like Truly. you lose your thread. You actually need to see. They have a nice graphical layout for how that works. And I found that I couldn't tell my story creatively until I was seeing how it played out visually. Yeah. But the problem is then I, I, I can't bring myself to copy-paste over three Just for a spell check. different windows into a word processor to do the spelling, then copy and paste it back. And I was like, it would drive me batty. So I'm doing my best to go and catch all the spelling errors. But, but yes, I will never be snooty about spelling errors in Foundry ever again. <laughs> ever again. I, until, I, I, until they add spell checks and then, then you don't have an excuse. It is, it is nightmarishly hard to find I, all yeah. the little incidences that, that, that creep in there. I'm on record as being a bit of a grammar Nazi, but even I uh, relax my Nazism for for the Foundry because I know uh, you. No matter I I have I've got a series of six missions out there, and I have I worked them to death. I wrote I wrote them in the text editors and copied and pasted them, and then made edits when it was in the Foundry editor. And stuff creeped in, and even now, like a year and a half, two years later, I'm just I'm still seeing them, and I'm just like ah. But then I have to go back in. I have to republish it. I have to do all that. Yeah. Just let it go. Let it go. I let know. it go. Let well, I'm, go. I'm actually in the process. It's, I've actually I've been kind of overwhelmed by it's, I've gotten very good feedback from people, and it's getting very good mm-hmm. reviews. And so I'm, it's kind of inspiring. I am trying to go back through all of my dialogues, at least by eye, and double-check yeah. everything. And, oh, my God, I am finding so many things. It's like, oh. it's just, I'm amazed people are just... ranting it's high. I haven't gotten more grammar and spelling complaints. Than I, have. I think everyone's. I think everyone's kind of in the same thing. I think if you if you played enough missions or if you've written one, you just have to write one, just one, and you sort of uh, you have new sympathy for for spelling errors. I think so. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's. Uh, that, this, this has been uh, very great to have you again, uh, Doctor. We're glad you're back. We're glad you're out of the foundry hole that uh, some of us go into when we're doing our mission creation. Uh, why don't you tell everybody the title and uh, your handle so they can do a search on the. Uh, on the Foundry uh, uh, system to, to pull that mission up. Sure. It, uh, the mission's called the Interwarp Experiment, uh, and it uh, takes you to a uh, starship that is undergoing a very interesting test of warp drive technology that could change the face of warp drive forever. And my handle is uh, at AstroRobLA, uh, like LA, like Los Angeles, and uh, uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily. And, and I will sadly say, while I'm out of the Foundry hole now, of course, when I was writing it, I realized there were questions that weren't being answered in my conclusion, and I suddenly understood, and I realized there is a conclusion. And so I did commit myself in my final uh, dialogue <laughs> to the conclusion to the experiment. <laughs> 
coming this summer, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> you should just say coming soon, coming TM. Well, yeah. I figure giving myself a deadline is never a bad thing, and uh, <laughs> we'll take it from there. <laughs> All right. Well, and you've learned a lot. The first one's always the hardest. Uh, so, but once you get the first under your belt, uh, it's, uh, it gets a little easier. It gets a little easier. Just don't quit writing your astrometrics uh-huh. columns. Uh, now that we got you back, now we got you. Now we got you hooked back in. People like hearing about planets from me, but it's much better coming from the real deal. Uh, refresh uh, our conversation about the education budget. <clears throat> Absolutely. But much better coming from the real deal. So well, we're glad to have you back, Doc. Uh, good to have you back, and thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. All right. Well, let's open up Hailing Frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing Frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, from the STO forums, we hear from Captain Merzan. Great show as always, but I have one correction. Vulcans do drink. Spock did and gave Bones a hard time for not offering him any LOL. And I know someone is going to say, well, he was half human, which is true. But in his younger days, i.e. TOS, he was more of a Vulcan than human. In fact, he was not proud at all of his human half. Okay, 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 okay. We heard from Dr. Weger himself. He gave some canon references where the Vulcans were drinking brandy and whatnot. Okay, fine. It's just they don't do it very often. I can't see the Vulcans kicking back on the back porch with the brewski. All right, and coming to us via PriorityOnePodcast.com in our comment section, Sargon writes, Trek beer? Oh, sign me up. Cool story. Negvar refit news of the day. Yeah, I was pretty excited about that. I don't know when we're going to see it, but it's coming. Uh, Yu Chen writes in, on the question of what would Picard do, it helps to specify whether we're talking about Picard from the show or Picard from the movies. Picard from the show would refrain from interfering, after all. If there's a cosmic plot for Assad to slaughter all of his people, is it not the height of hubris to think we can we can or should interfere? Well, the Picard from Insurrection, however, is liable to use biogenic weapon on the rebels and shoot down any Federation ships sent to provide aid. Good point. As for the Klingons and yielding, when they weren't written by hacks, Klingons are not one-track-minded simpletons. After all, no lesser of an authority than Martok urged Worf to yield in By Inferno's Light. That's a DS9 episode. Yeah, that's true. After Worf had nearly been beaten to a pulp by a Jemadar guy. Yeah, he had already got taken his licks. So my complaint on that uh, Klingon foundry mission was that you just, like, the guy walked up and said, Hey, Klingon, surrender. You said, mm, okay. No, 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 no. He's got to bloody me up a little bit first before I, before I yield. Okie dokie. And Sean Newboy writes, Great show, everyone. Love to hear from Al again, even if Tumor Boy did pick on him. Poor Al. Gets no respect. Gets no respect. Yeah, I mean, Taco Taco Boy Tumor Fangs, known troll on the STO forums. I mean, I don't know why Brandflakes doesn't just ban him. He, why, why does Brandflakes just ban him? I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. honestly, you know, Brandflakes has the ban hammer. Just, just smack that guy. I mean, he's just he's, uh, he shows up everywhere. In all honesty, uh, what he does have going for him is he's a fantastic dancer. And anybody who has not seen the blooper reel on our YouTube channel from when uh, James and Adrian visited the studios last year, just go check that out. You'll see what I'm talking about. Michael Sawyer writes in and he says, It has been way too long since there has been a Star Trek movie. They need to find someone who knows Star Trek to get to work making one. Meanwhile, I heard Abrams' new space adventure, Lens Flare 2, is due out soon. That's right. Our favorite whipping boy, J.J. Abrams, is about to release another popcorn flick. I watched Screen Junkies. They do honest trailers. And they did one for the 2009 Trek. And that's good. That's a good one because (laughs) at one point... They do they do a shot for shot comparison of uh, of Star Trek with 
scenes and shots from Star Wars, and they mm-hmm. call it JJ's demo reel. That was true. <laughs> it's so true. So true. Yes. It, like, seriously, it's like, hey, Lucasfilm, anyone over there? I, you know, I get Star Wars. I really do. See, I can put Star Wars in Star Trek. That's how much I get Star Wars. All right. So uh, on Twitter, we had several, several new followers, and we want to thank each and every one of you uh, for following us at STO Priority One, from Kevin Manthe to uh, iJedi146 uh, to the Truth Dragon, and of course the Twelfth Fleet. So thank you, everyone. There were so very so many more, uh, and we really want to uh, express our thanks for following us on our social media platforms. We got some Twitter comments last week. At the Sea Cat replied to our tweet about Captain Gecko's interview during one of the server outages last week. He says, "Thank goodness I got the urge and time to play, and the servers are down. At least I got this." Well, everyone, thank you so very much for your feedback. Be sure to reach us on our Stowe Forum post of uh, this episode. Well, that wraps up episode 127, broadcast live on trekradio.net. Remember that we are on air every Thursday night at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. We've been getting amazing feedback, and we play better to a live audience. Captains, we want to remind you that the Priority One Network is always expanding, and we're always looking for talented individuals that want to be a part of the team. Right now, we're looking for, specifically, we're looking for video editors that are familiar with Demo Record and making awesome videos for Star Trek Online. If you feel you're the guy or gal for the job, then send us a sample of your work to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We're always looking for your suggestions and ideas for Trek It Out, field notes, general show improvements, and additions. You can submit your ideas and questions with our online form at the Priority One website via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com facebook or twitter that's right captains we are on facebook head over to facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and say hi share our stuff share our announcements you can also check us out on twitter at sto priority one for showtimes and other cool stuff and don't forget always retweet and always share now we just want to remind everybody to click the big orange button That's right. We need your donations to help us get to the Vegas convention. We are in the process of finalizing our convention plans, and we hope to have an announcement over what exactly we're going to need and what exactly we're going to bring to you from the convention floor. So keep an eye out on our tweets, keep an eye out on our Facebook page, and tune in to PriorityOnePodcast.com and TrekRadio.net. All right, Captains, you may have noticed that James was unable to join us for this episode of Priority One. We'd like to extend our sincerest condolences to our very good friend and talented James Lee, who lost his grandfather earlier today. We would like to thank our entire team over at PriorityOnePodcast.com, our art director, Alex Calderwood, our audio engineers, Lennon Rich and Justin Lomaster, and the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com, our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Trek Radio, and the Trek Radio Live Crew. And, of course, and certainly not least, the Stowe community. Without you, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage.
Transfer complete. Jerby. Jerby. His name is Jerby. Jerby. I'm gonna call him Jeremy from now on. Jeremy. Jeremy Borkus. Jeremy Borkus, you get back up here right now. You get back up here right now and you make these ships, Jeremy. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Hey to Paul. Can you get me another beer? <laughs> Do you want another Vulcan Isle, honey? Let's welcome back Dr. Robert Hurt of NASA's JPL and author of our Atrometric. <laughs> I knew it. I knew that word was going to get me.